Welcome to the Back in Action Podcast. Are you a weekend warrior, a current or former high-performing athlete, or do you just have questions about what a chiropractor can do for you in a rehab setting? Here, we'll dive into the world of chiropractic and exercise rehab and how they both can be utilized to get you back in action. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Back in Action Podcast. Uh, today, we have another guest with us. We have Jeremy with us. Uh, Austin and I both took Justin Rabinowitz's um, class on everything you should have learned in Cairo school, and Jeremy was an integral part of that class, uh, gave a lot of really good um, advice, lessons, things that he learned throughout the process, so re- we're really excited to have him on today. Um, Jeremy, a backstory about uh, how you got to where you are today. That's it loaded question so um i knew i wanted to start my practice right when i go i went on like a couple um well i knew i i probably knew around seventh term but what i really knew was when i went on a couple interviews and uh i saw what you know they they expected out of a new grad what they what the job requirement was um how long they were spending with each client it just didn't align with like my my core values and my vision of what i plan to do in the future so right from the gate, um, I just opened up my own practice uh, in March 2019. So I graduated in uh, December 18, waited for my license, got my license, and then just started. Um, I did take a part-time job at a clinic, a multidisciplinary clinic. And, um, you know, I, I, I think I actually, the first one I took, I lasted a month. <laughs> right when I saw like seven people at 4 p.m. For, scheduled for me, I, I was like, I got to go. Um, so that lasted a month and then I found a place that kind of allowed me to, it was a lot slower volume, allowed me to kind of do what I wanted to do a, a little bit more. Um, so that was tolerable in the meantime, as I still built RSM from the ground up. Um, and then my jump off point was June in the middle of COVID right before I got married, um, 2020, I was just like, I gotta go, I gotta do it. So quit that job. Um, and then in July, 2020 full time by myself, um, and here we are today. <laughs> so how were you, how were you building up RSM while you were working with, what were you doing to kind of like work on that? Um, very good question. So just, I had no idea, you know, I had, I had zero business skill, zero business knowledge besides, besides like shadowing Dr. Rabinowitz as a 10th termer. Um, that's when I started to uh, learn a little bit about cash-based practices and, um, so I, I just went around meeting new gyms, gym owners, um, taking classes at CrossFit gyms, which I, it's not my favorite, but I just had to do it to make new friends. Um, and I was just meeting as many people as I could, getting face-to-face interactions. Um, I, to be honest, one thing that I really missed the boat on was the workshops. And I think naturally as a human, I'm a little introverted and shy. So I was really timid to do those. I, was, I wasn't confident in speaking to public in like public places yet, um, especially about like pain. So I, in the beginning, I wish I could go back and do more of that because I had more time. Um, but now that's one of my you know favorite marketing tools in today's in like now is going to these gyms, speaking about my practice, speaking about who we help, and showing them one or two things about how they can fix their own pain problems. Um, yeah, but in the beginning, good. it was just yeah. Um, in the beginning, it was all just meeting people. Um, Getting people on the schedule was like my main priority because I had like two people at nine and 10 and then like four and five. Like it was just all over the place. Right, um, right. So 
figuring out what kind of schedule worked for me, had a time block. Um, all those things in the beginning helped slowly build the practice. Um, social media was huge. And um, I, I made sure that I tried to, you know, post as much as I could, market myself for free on that platform, Instagram. And um, I just try to get as many people to share my stuff, tell their friends, family. And uh, that's slowly how I, I built a, a name in this community. Yeah, that's awesome. Um, I know, Austin, you, you were going to ask him about social media stuff, right? Yeah, like I know um, being in the group together, you've kind of touched upon it a couple of times uh, about the social media and how like it maybe wasn't really your scene at first, like it wasn't your your vibe, but you kind of just bit the bullet and because uh, you saw the value in it. And I just wanted you to touch upon that a little bit and kind of how you got into using your social network as like a basically a, a free marketing now. Yeah, great. another great one. Um, so yeah, like I said in the beginning, I'm pretty uh, timid and shy if, if you meet me in person. But um, I started to see the value in the social media side of things. I was getting a lot of DMs, um, not only from like patients and people that are interested in my product, but also like students. Um, they were asking me a bunch of questions. Can I shadow? So I, I really just, I was like, wow, like social media can reach. I was treating people in Turkey. Um, it was Canada, Australia, like doing virtual sessions during COVID um, as strength training. And um, <laughs> um, and I, so I saw the power of social media and I, I was like, you know what? I, all my posts in the beginning were like, all my posts in the beginning were like, um, like educational stuff. And it was more towards like, I, I realized that my posts were geared more towards like clinicians, um, which in the long term, like now that I'm doing this with Dr. Rabinowitz, um, it, it did end up helping me in the long run. But when I was trying to build my practice and get more patients in the door, like those posts, those in-depth, like educational posts were not for my perfect client. So as I've grown over the, over the years, I've realized that um, making those posts very simple um, easy to digest, very easy to implement. Um, people tend to love those type of posts. So I made those more of a habit. Um, I try to use a little bit of humor in there. Post-workout juices flowing just makes it a little bit easier for a shy guy like myself to be a little bit more like myself, um, make it a little funny, educational. And then the consistency too. The consistency part took me about three years. Um, I didn't want to do it. I didn't block time off for it. I would just like do it when I had the time and when I made it a priority and I was like, you know what, I'm just going to try to do this like once a day, just see what happens. And I started to get to like five times a week, six times a week. And then I slowly just built that muscle. And eventually now it's like, it's just a normal part of my day now. Like I got to make a post. Um, I also have a social media, um, I'll call him a coach that I work with and he, he holds me accountable for, sending him content that he will edit. So it helps me now kind of shoot in bulk, which also helps me, uh, helps me be much more efficient with my time. So all those things together have slowly just increased uh, business performance. Um, it's made everything much more efficient and I'm, I'm honestly like having fun with it now. So it's been a cool journey from like hating posting mm. to like, you know, twice a month and now doing it every day and having fun with it. Yeah, definitely. Right. I think that's huge too. Cause like, I mean, we all come from like an athletic background where we're kind of used to, you know, having our like schedule laid out 
and it's like you know you got to be at practice at like 7 a.m like then everything's just kind of laid out for you the day and then once you get into being a like a clinician you just don't really have like people telling you where to be or what to do so really just make that schedule and like you kind of briefly touch upon it like the time blocking aspect too i feel like is huge yeah that's uh it's a muscle that for sure i i needed to build um like you said i've been a, a student or a player of a sport for 20 years and um when you have your own business and you have nobody telling you what to do you got to be strategic in the way you plan your day and uh i was not i was all over the place <laughs> i was uh you know doing it as it came up doing it as i remembered if I did write it down, it would be like, oh, I got this done today. And then the next day, I'd be like, got this done, maybe. Um, it was very unorganized, no structure. And so the time blocking literally allows you to block that time out. You're not thinking about treating. You're not thinking about anything else for that two hours, hour, half hour, whatever it is. You're focused, get it done, and you keep it moving. And it's on my schedule every week. So the things that I have to do, like Monday at 12, that's never going to change. Thursday, 12 to 2, that's never going to change. Uh, Tuesday morning, seven to nine. It's never going to change. So those time blocks really help keep you uh, on on target with everything. Make sure that things are getting uh, the boxes are getting checked, and that everything's getting done accordingly. So, uh, kind of backtracking just a little bit. Um, so to explain your practice a little bit, because I know you said in the beginning, like obviously, like you have a cash based practice. But for our viewers, like explain, kind of like give like a breakdown of what sets you apart from like a traditional Cairo that would take cash? Cause like, obviously for, for those that don't know you're in a gym setting. Um, mm -hmm. So just explain how you differ as a gym setting cash-based uh, clinician compared to someone else who's taking cash and maybe not doing what you do. Yeah. Beautiful. Um, so I chose to go the cash route because I realized quickly that insurance whether you're in net, in network or out, you still don't get compensated for your full hour. And I knew that all my sessions were going to be an hour. I know myself. I take my time. Um, I like to educate people, use that information. Um, it just an hour for me was a perfect sweet spot. We could go over. Um, <coughs> excuse me. <laughs> um, we can do the manual therapy, we can do the adjustments, we can do the soft tissue, um, we can do everything passively in here for 20-30 minutes. And the extra 30 minutes, um, as you said, I'm located in the gym. So that 30 minutes allows me to really go deep into the exercise part of everything. So not only coaching, cueing, um, showing them the exercises myself, but also progressing them into later stages of rehab. Eventually, those sessions kind of look like training, right? Like towards the end, it should be progressed pretty far enough back to whatever exercises or training or movements they wanted to do. So being in a gym setting um, and having that half hour strictly for movement stuff um, makes it much more efficient for me, much more efficient for the patient, more importantly, because now they're getting that one-on-one -on -one time with you. Um, they feel confident in the movements. They feel confident if you know they, could, they have to self-manage away from the clinic. Um, it's just a better all overall experience for everybody. Back to the insurance talk. Um, insurance will only, especially if you're in network, they they play the game. And so if you're if you're a chiropractor and we are by licensor by by our licenses, um, they're only going to pay you for a specific amount of things, uh, the way you write a note, all of that stuff. So there was a time where I got a four dollar check for two sessions, 
Um, so at that moment, I realized making that good I'm money. Not, yeah, like I'm not, I'm not playing this game. I'm not going to guess. And sometimes it takes four months or even a year to get paid. So my whole reasoning behind going cash was it's much cleaner. Um, it's it is what it is. Like you know where you're getting paid. They know what it is. There's no guessing. There's a lot of guesswork in insurance. You got to verify. You got to see if you're getting paid for this. It takes the guesswork out of it. You can track. Your business is much more efficient. Um, the patient knows what it is. The patient knows how many sessions they need. It's just much. It's a much cleaner operation. And um, to me, that was that was exactly what I wanted. Um, it's funny because like I am a higher priced practice, um, and people sometimes you know the sales process is important because sometimes they don't see the value in that, and then they say, well, why don't you just do the you know why don't you just go in network and just you know do what the other parents do? They're making millions as well. And that's the funny part is that they see 80 people a day. They make much more money than we do. Um, and the care, the value of care is extremely low. And I, and I, I don't care. Like I didn't care about making a million, $2 million like that way. I, I want to build a practice that I'm proud of that. I want to, the way that I want to treat the way that I want the profession to move in. And so if that's not making, as much money as those in-network high-volume chiros that have basically their circle of lawyers, car accident cases, you know, all that stuff. Like, I'm fine with it. And, and showing the value to people and, and helping them understand why we do this route as opposed to the in-network way. Um, I think people start to appreciate it. I've become basically like a last resort clinic because they've been to all those other places that accept their insurance. They don't really spend the time with them. And so they're like, here's a last resort before any major surgeries or major life decisions that can change like change their life drastically. So I've taken pride in being essentially a last resort clinic at this point. Yeah. And, and I like I like what you said kind of about uh, the value of care being extremely low for, you know, those clinicians who do go out. And um, like you said, they're seeing like maybe 80 people in a day and you can definitely make a good living off of that, like you said. but I'm I'm with you in the sense that it's definitely a lot better to have that one-on-one -on -one relationship with a patient where you know you're spending that good hour with them and you know they're getting a good quality of care. Um, so going off of that now, what are your biggest things that you notice when people come into you? Um, like, what are the biggest flaws that you see in things that they're doing wrong? Like, is it pretty obvious? Like, if you have someone with low back pain, and you you try to get them to do a deadlift. Is it pretty like? bad like their form and everything like that or are you typically getting people who have never done a deadlift before and you're basically teaching them from the ground up Ooh, another amazing question um yeah screw so you austin <laughs> typically um just based on my uh, my networking and my marketing i get a lot of barbell athletes a lot of strength training clients um excuse me my allergies <laughs> um I get a lot of people that love to train. So a lot of the times their form is maybe it needs a little bit of tweaking, but the form is typically like not a crazy issue. Sometimes it is as simple as saying, Hey, just turn your feet out a little bit. Oh my gosh. My knee pain's gone. Like, thank you. Sometimes it is that simple. <laughs> um, but most of the time it's chronic pain. People they've gone through the ringer. They've gone to other clinics. Um, they haven't gotten the results they wanted. They keep training through pain. It's frustrating. They're scared to do stuff. Um, but having my strength and conditioning background allows me to see it from that lens and also see it from the doctor, the doctorate lens. So I get to kind of see it from two angles. 
And a majority of the time, like you said, uh, it is a, is a healthy blend of both. So sometimes it is technique, sometimes it's volume, sometimes it is managing their strength training and the classes they're doing and all that stuff. But a lot of the t- a lot of the times it's much more than that. And that's why the sessions are one hour. Because again, you can't figure out anything really about a person in five minutes. So are you doing the same things each day then? Or are you kind of each day meaning like, all right, let's say you meet someone once a week. Is the training Mm going to look the same for almost like programming? Is it going to look the same for like four sessions or are you changing things up each session? I depends. Everybody's different. Um, That's a, a great question. Sometimes we'll have to harp on a specific exercise or if it is like strictly deadlifts, they want to get back to that'll be for a few weeks in a row. And maybe it's modifications. Like maybe the week one is the block then it's like one block less then it's like a pause then it's like a tempo, but it's all variations. Um, sometimes it is that other times it's like, boom, that person's really good. They picked it up. We got the changes we wanted. Let's move to the next thing. Cause I trust gotcha. you on that already. Yeah. I do put a lot of trust into people because I call it homework. I trust them to do these exercises that we do in here as homework when they're not here. And I'll, I'll either, um, I'm doing two things now. I'm either writing their program like I used to do from the, from the beginning, or now I just record them doing it and I'll airdrop it or send it to them via email, whatever, so that they see themselves doing the exercises. Um, either way for me, it works. And either way, I'll still program. But just having that as like a guide and then uh, a homework assignment to do throughout the week, they feel empowered. They don't feel yeah, like absolutely. fully reliant on just being in your office. Like, I don't want that feeling. Mm-hmm. I want them to have control. I want them to feel confident. Um, so I do it that way. Yes, that's fine. Awesome. Awesome. I feel like we're all kind of along the same lines and we want to incorporate exercise into our, our treatment plans and um, be that like rehab Cairo for people. But I think the thing that we've, I mean, we've kind of talked about it in the group before and I feel like I know the answer, but maybe for our viewers, like, how do you go about not stepping on the toes of like personal trainers um, mm-hmm. and kind of, especially in your setting, cause you're in a gym itself. Like how do you kind of um, guide those relationships with the personal trainers and with the patients themselves? So they're not thinking, Oh, this guy's just like a glorified personal trainer. I'm sure you get that every once in a while. So. Yes, I do. Um, <laughs> even from my own, from my own mom. Would you believe that? Um, so yeah, she's like, like when I started posting and doing like exercise based stuff, which I've never posted an adjustment ever. Mm-hmm. Um, I also brag about that to my clients because anybody again can do the same old adjustment and like, oh my, like you, like I love the internet Kairos that are like so sh- they act like so shocked when they get a, like an adjustment. <laughs> like you were surprised. Um, yeah, none of that stuff because again, I value the exercise portion of the sessions. They know I'm a Cairo. They know they're going to get adjusted. They know they're going to get the muscle work. But the real value is, to me, the long-term solutions are exercises, right? Like those are going to change, create the long-term adaptations we want. So um, back to your question. Here specifically, I right away started training with the trainers here. And um, they earn your respect when you know what you're talking about. They earn your respect when you train hard with them. Um, and you really earn the respect when you say, Hey, I'm the pain guy here. Like, I just want to do, I want to get people out of pain and then shuffle them to you. At that point, you know, now that you're in charge of the pain stuff. Now, whatever you do in, in those sessions for those 12, 15, whatever it is, like that's 
totally up to you. Like they don't know what you're going to do for a treatment plan. If you're doing a deadlift, like, Hey, this it's is a part of treatment, right? Um, but they still see it and their perspective is, Oh, Jeremy's taking care of their low back right now. Well, I don't know what he's doing, but I, I expect him to, you know, refer when they're done. Mm-hmm. And that's the relationship we had. So I trained with the, with the owners and the trainers. Um, they earned my respect because they knew what I was talking about. Um, biomechanics wise, um, as a Cairo, they saw that I wasn't like your average crack and go type of guy. Um, so earning the respect of the gym owners and the trainers, um, through action and through, um, showing them how I practice, I would, I explained to them too, like, this is what I do. This is kind of how it looks like I'm not here to step on toes. Um, I love getting people out of pain, but I also love using movement as therapy and they appreciate it because they also don't want to send people to the classic, you know, quick crack and go. So for sure. Yeah. I feel like that's huge. And like, we, we all kind of know how big a referral source, like personal trainers can be in, in that space. And especially like how we kind of want to approach things. Um, and definitely just like building that relationship with them. And even if you can be like, Hey, like I can get that person back to you where now they're training once a week again, rather than like taking a month off every, every other month because they tweak something or something. So I feel like they exactly. see the value. And in you that too. Be, yes. And you want to be actually helping those people because when they send you somebody, there is a little bit of pressure, right? Like you want to do that person good. You want to be like, all right, they're good to go. Like, and that thank, thankfully knock on wood. Um, I, I am very prideful in, in my clinical skills and I, I really harp on that to the younger generation too. Like can't just be a cash based like clinician and practice and just like go through the motions with your clinical stuff. But you have to be really damn good if people are paying you these elite prices. So um, honing in on clinical skills, being very good at what you do and then earning the trust of those trainers like through golden. Maybe a tougher question for you um, kind of going off of that just because you mentioned the being cash based and the higher pricing, what do you recommend people do that aren't in a gym setting and, but they still want to practice this way. Like they still want to do rehab and everything. Like what if they don't have access to like a barbell or anything like that? Like how can they work themselves up to get to be a provider like you are without the necessary equipment that they'll need? You just have to get creative. Um, I had this conversation a couple of weeks ago um, and somebody asked me the same thing. Like I just have a wedge a block and like a dumbbell. I'm like, beautiful. That's plenty. Like you just have to get creative. Remember that strength and conditioning and movement, there's principles. So if you utilize those principles and just apply them in the setting that you're in, like you really can get some good changes with bare minimum stuff. Now, obviously you're not going to be progressing somebody to like a heavy back squat because you don't have that, but you can definitely still go over the fundamentals. You can do a lot of rehab exercises with body weight um, and minimal equipment. You can, do, you can get creative as hell. Um, so you don't need to be in a state-of-the-art facility. Um, but is it beneficial? Absolutely. Uh, but do you absolutely necessarily need to be using that all the time? No. Um, sometimes I literally just stay in this room. Mm-hmm. And I just do very simple breathing stuff. Um, simple exercises, right? Like some of my patients are 70, 70 years old. So, so those people, we typically stay in here. So you don't have them deadlifting 400? Like, come on. (laughs) We're progressing that. We're getting there. So what, go ahead, Austin, sorry. Oh, no, I was just going to touch on the, like the principles part, because I feel, um, especially in school that we just like literally just graduated, 
that was a big thing that they kind of dropped the ball on is like the principles aspect of it. Cause I would have loved if, you know, our active care classes were principles based where we're not just trying to memorize a bunch of different exercises and think like, you know, this is, this is going to cure back pain. This is for your shoulder, like rather go through the principles. And now you can kind of figure out exercises based off of like anatomy rather than okay, I have this list of a hundred exercises that are the best for all these different things. So I think right. principles that's, is huge. Yeah, man. That's a big trap that people fall into. They just like memorize like, okay, dead bug for low back pain and like bird dog for SI pain. Like that's, that's where you get in trouble. And that's where, you know, you'll get frustrated as a clinician and you'll get frustrated clients because that's not the case for everybody. So uh, <clears throat> my recommendation for that is finding, finding a, educational um group we'll call it um that you enjoy like for me i found that after school mm -hmm. and it was already i was already uh, a couple months into practice when i started to realize oh this is like really overlapping with like strength and conditioning principles and foundations and so having that like baseline of knowledge and then going into the weeds is what i think makes it fun and what makes practice practice because you're you're essentially using all your backbone information, that foundational principle stuff, and then applying as you go. You can make up exercises this way. You can put people in very unique situations this way that they've never been to in other physical therapy pyro clinics, which again, provides value and they, they know that you're doing something different that actually works. And so they, they're bought in right away. Yeah, definitely. Bridget, you can go ahead. <laughs> You made me forget what I was even going to ask. Yeah, I don't know. I, I actually, I was going to ask if you could clarify a little bit. I know you kind of explained it, but when you go in somewhere and you say, um, hey, I'm the pain guy, um, yep. and you kind of have that, you know, reputation about yourself, I feel like an outsider would think, okay, like the pain guy's going to do mainly soft tissue. So do you ever yeah. get anyone that kind of crosses you with like, well, if you're the pain guy, why are you doing exercises with me? Or like, why are we doing this? Like, why would I not go see my personal trainer for that? Um, how do you educate someone on the importance of doing that and why manual therapy isn't just a sole answer? That's huge. Yeah. Another good question. Wow. Um, <laughs> so in the sales process, I have, I have a whiteboard in my room where it's really easy to draw out. And I can show them exactly how the entire process works. And that happens on the free discovery visit. So before they even sign up and commit to anything, I break it down to how I do things here. So in the first phase, it's like the pain phase, right? We'll do whatever we got to do to get you out of pain in that phase. So manual therapy adjustments, exercises, uh, whatever it is, positional rehab, that phase is like strictly to get you out of pain. Once we get out of pain, I draw another line for the next phase. And that's the foundational phase, right? So now we got to, we're out of pain. Let's start to build back uh, from the base and build up stronger and better. And then after that is where I draw a red dotted line. And I'm like, this is where we really are unique here in this practice. This is the integration phase back to whatever, whatever exercise or activity you want to do. This is how we integrate it back into that. And so they have a clear picture in their head. They're looking at it. Pain, um, in, uh, stabilization phase, integration phase. And so they're like, oh, interesting. Okay, so this is like, this is the plan. This is how it's going to work. Timeline-wise, could be a little different. We could have three in the pain, 
uh, six in the mid phase and like another six in the integration phase. Like it all could be different. Um, but that's kind of like the base of how I explain it to them. And when they ask me about why are we doing exercises, it's because I tell them, you asked for a long-term resolution for your pain. And in my opinion, this is the best way to get you there. Right. Um, do you ever find it challenging to know? Um, cause obviously if we're working off treatment plans as well, um, like if we did packages, let's say someone signed up for a 15 visit package. Do you ever struggle with like, Oh my gosh, we're getting pretty close to visit 15. Like they're not where I think they should be, or they're not in the phase that I think they should be in. Like what happens then? Then you just get another package. <laughs> um, but yeah, being very clear on the, uh, on the front end of that is huge. And that's why I'm still in a mastermind group and I still practice this stuff weekly because I'll slip up here and there. Um, I will forget to be clear on that. Um, so yeah, like saying to the person before they even purchase the first package, like, hey, let's start here. because I feel like this is going to be clinically the best for you. And if that person either falls off of like, you know, maybe a couple of weeks they cancel or they experience a flare up in a class, whatever it is, like anything could happen. Right. Like nothing's guaranteed ever in life. So if God forbid they're not better by like 15, then at least you've had that conversation. So they have expectations already of like, okay, well, he did say we can always re up if we need to. We can always move to the membership option if we need to. Um, you know, that, that conversation should happen prior to even purchasing the first one. So again, that's why that way they're not thrown off, they're not disappointed. There, you were like, hey, this is this is part of it. Like, this is life. Sometimes we have to do a second package. And honestly, I'd rather you do another 15 because now we have more time together, more accountability. You're going to be in here under my care. Like, we're going to have crazy results by 30. Right. Mm-hmm. You know? So just being open. And again, I'm a timid, shy guy. I'm not great at that. So that's something that I work on all the time. It's like being clear, being bold, being transparent, not trying to be like, oh, like, Oh, well, yeah, let's just do 12. And then like, you know, that's how I was for like three years. And it really hindered my progress. Yeah, I think I, I feel like we can get in our own head sometimes, right? And it's, it's literally all just based around communication. And like, if you can just, if you know that you have the best intentions for that patient, and you just communicate that to them, like, they're gonna, I feel like nine times out of 10, they're gonna be on board with it. So exactly. Yep. It's very much so a confidence thing. And, um, you know, as, as you get used to like seeing so many patients and you kind of see like what people really do need and it's less intimidating because you're like, Oh yeah. By session 10, this person was great, but now like now they need the integration phase back to training. So now you only have two sessions left of the 12 pack to get them to full performance. And now, you know, you kind of, you make yourself look bad, which is again, um, yeah, you don't want to, you don't want to say something and then under deliver. That's my, that's my number one fear. So I had somebody today. Um, so I showed her the, the um, price menu and everything. And she's like, so what do you charge like per session? I was like, oh, I don't even know. It's not even on there. <laughs> it's not an option. So mm-hmm. I don't know. Did you turn that person away then? Or like, do you just say like this? No, is... she ended up getting a 15. Oh, okay. Because I said clinically, this is what I think you need. Okay. Mm-hmm. And we'll start. There you go. <laughs> Um, so I have a question about, I guess this is probably our last question cause we're kind of close now, but, um, a lot of the listeners that we have are like people who are either in our situation, just getting out of school or 
are still in school. So, I mean, you had aspirations of kind of like starting your own thing. Um, if you had any advice for some like younger Kairos, uh, who wanted to start their own business, where would you kind of start or what would you kind of, you know, focus on coming out of school? That's, that's I know there's so much, but no, even if you had to pick great. like one thing. Yeah, no, I think, I think that's a huge question because I didn't have anybody telling me at all. So, um, if I could coach myself back to like, I would go back to like seventh term and I would say, this is kind of what I did like organically, but I started to shadow and go to seminars. I really spent a lot of time off campus. Um, and I hate to say that, but it's true. And, um, I went to as many seminars as I could put so much shit on my credit card. I had no business going to these things, but I wanted to be the best clinician in, in, a, in the U S. So with that as a goal, I was doing whatever it took to be the best clinician. Now, if I could switch one thing about that, it would be, all right, let's sprinkle in some business here and there. Cause I didn't know shit about that until I was already in practice. So if I could coach myself, um, and if Alex Hermosi was around back then, I would have said, read that book, um, you know, get your feet wet with some business principles, start building confidence and talking to people in general, like whether that's personal training, doing workshops by yourself, build that confidence when you're, when you're in, like when you're establishing a presence somewhere, I think that's a huge underrated tool, um, not only for sale for sales and selling, um, but being a clinician and like having to tell somebody this is what you need. Uh, I think that's a huge one that people undervalue and don't really pay attention to is confidence in your speaking, um, having a presence and making it known that like, this is like having empathy, essentially, like, this is what you need. I'm telling you right now, like, this is exactly what you need. For sure. And I feel like for, for a lot of students that are out there, you're just so focused on the clinical aspect where you're just like, I want to get really fucking good at what I do that you yes. just kind of drop the ball on the sales part. And then you don't realize until you're like a year into practice and you're like, Oh shit. Like I got bills yeah. to pay. I got money to make. Like you're like, exactly. Oh. And uh, yeah, that's not a fun situation to be in because you could be, again, I could have been the best clinician ever. If there's nobody who knows about me and nobody I can talk to, what the hell's the point? Right. Um, well, since we are cutting it close, Jeremy, if you want to real quick, just, uh, throw your Instagram handle out there or anything else you want to throw out there just so people can follow you. RSM underscore athlete underscore doc hashtag best Instagram account in the chiropractic profession. Strongly recommend following. Uh, now you, anybody can always DM me or email at Dr. Jeremy at RSM sportsmed.com. Um, any questions, any students or new grads have. I'd be happy to help anybody because I just want to push this profession in the right direction. So perfect. And he promises to be as caffeinated up as possible too. <laughs> 24 seven. <laughs> All right, Jeremy. Well, thank you for coming on the podcast. We really appreciate it. And we're going to be keeping up with you too. Awesome. Thank you guys. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. <laughs> appreciate it.